Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with AMB, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landish, joined as always by Ari Wasserman. And we're in the offseason and a lot of stuff's happening. Guys are guys are leaving, guys are staying. Some are surprises, some aren't. Uh, and we're going to touch on all of that, I think, via your questions. We're going to do a, a listener mailbag here, listener Q&A. Subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you signed up and you can ask us questions for future episodes. We have a lot to get through here, Ari. Um, but let's start with like the nuts and bolts of this, I guess, like who so far has said they're staying and who so far has said they're going. And then I'll ask you if you think any of those are surprising or which is the most surprising. Uh, staying is Chris Olave, Tyreek Smith, Thayer Munford, Jeremy Ruckert, and like five minutes before we started recording this, Antoine Jackson, uh, who will be a sixth-year defensive tackle, announced that he's coming back. Uh, leaving are Justin Fields, Tommy Togiai, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and then, like, the seniors, we don't know. They have until March 1st. Uh, a lot of the seniors went through, like, their virtual senior day deal. But I'm pretty sure Thayer Munford was one of them, and he left to come back. So I guess that didn't mean anything. So it's possible some of the seniors could come back. I think most notably Haskell Garrett is, is the one we're waiting on um, to hear from. Of, of that list, Ari, the guys who said they're going, the guys who said they're staying, what was the most surprising decision to you? Is this just the, there's only one answer here, right? No, I think there's I think there's two. So it's Munford and Olave. Actually, I think there's three. <laughs> I think there's three. I think Togi was a little surprising. Um, yeah, I, I I just figure anybody who's good and has the ability to leave leaves. That I'm never shocked when somebody decides to leave. I don't know if that's like a fair way to look at it or not. But if you no, go get paid after a year like that, then go get paid. Olave was the shocking one to me. I like almost spit my drink out when I saw that and. The funny thing is, is that there were like mock drafts being published at like 10, 15 minutes after he announced Bill that had him like going in the middle of the first round. And like he's been a pretty consistent first round projection, hasn't he? So like any time a first rounder decides to come back to college, I think it's an interesting move um, because I know that I wouldn't elect willingly to not become a millionaire. 
but like I also know too that he is a pretty loyal person and somebody who's definitely going to be a first round pick a year from now so you know don't ever want to knock anybody for making a decision to, to return to college get a degree and try to accomplish something and the fact of the matter is is that like when you look at what next year's team is the fact that they're getting Munford and Olave back combined with the uh, rest of the offensive line returnees Henderson coming in uh, the receivers are going to have the the Olave Wilson connection I mean that is a pretty good offense again you know and it's just yeah. like I think that Olave coming back legitimizes Ohio State as a legit national championship contender again next year now I know we're sitting here on January 9th 19th less than two weeks since Ohio State got blown out in the national championship game but you know forward looking uh, forward onward and like I don't know who the quarterback's gonna be I'm sure we'll get into that but that was like a bona fide first round draft pick that you're bringing back on the offensive side of the ball and I think it's even more surprising than Sean Wade coming back last year. It kind of felt the same to me a little bit. Um, and the thing, too, with the Olave, Bill, that in terms of like the, the surprising discussion is Chris came back and accomplished what would have haunted him had he left. You know, the, the mm-hmm. drop or the – or not the drop, the, the route break off in the 2019 Fiesta Bowl. Um, he came back and scored touchdowns and they blew out Clemson. Like he accomplished that – that redemption, you know, and I guess the la- only thing left that he has to do is win a national championship, but obviously winning one is a very hard thing to do. So I respect anybody who wants to come back to do that. I don't know if that's ever the expectation or should be that you're going to accomplish that. I think that when you do, it's greatness. Uh, maybe Ohio State will. Um, but the one thing I asked on Twitter and people were like, are you an idiot? And I wanted to know your thought, but do you think it's fair to compare potentially uh, – Olave and Garrett Wilson to being like the healthy version of Waddle and Devontae Smith next year? Or are they just too out of reach? Because like I think that's completely rational. Yeah, I think to an extent. I don't I don't know if either one of those guys is like quite as explosive as healthy Jalen Waddle is, but I think if you're talking about like first round pick on the outside, first round pick in the slot, yeah, I, th- I think it's similar. I think it's a similar idea. I think Olave is probably more similar to Devontae Smith than Garrett Wilson is to Jalen Waddle. And Garrett Wilson's very good. I just think they're slightly different players. Um, but that was the comparison a lot of people were making. Dame Brugler, who covers the draft for us, mentioned this when, when Olave announced he was coming back. Like co- coming into this past season, I think Devontae Smith was viewed as like a top 40 pick and then played his way into what will probably be a top 10 pick and won the Heisman Trophy. And I don't think anyone's expecting Chris Olave to win the Heisman Trophy, though he could. Um, but I think a similar rise up draft boards could be possible for Chris. Um, Dane already had Chris as a first-round pick. We actually, on, on the day of the national championship, I got to the press box, and then I had, the before the game started, write like a 300-word blurb about what Chris Olave was going to mean to the Saints as a first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. I think Dane had him 27th overall. Uh, so Dane really likes some other people had him mocked in the first round or, or second round at worst. So it is surprising to that uh, in that regard that he's coming back. But I do think he can – and we had a question about this. Like I think he can really help himself. I think there's there's a, a big enough jump for him to make monetarily with, with the guaranteed contracts that, that are slotted in the first round of the draft um, that, that on some level it makes sense for Chris to come back and try to do that. There's probably other stuff involved with it. I think he does want to win a national championship. But it, the, the thing about it that's so surprising – and and the thing that if I'm an Ohio State fan that would make me feel uh, good, not like great. I don't want I don't want to take it too far, but it's like Justin Fields is leaving. 
Chris Olave knows that, and Chris Olave is choosing to come back anyway, and he saw the young quarterbacks throw. We have not seen the young quarterbacks throw. He saw it. Um, and I, on some level, he is confident enough in those guys' abilities to think that he can come back and have the kind of year that's going to catapult him to something better than he already is. I think that yeah. means something. Yeah, I think that was the first reaction for most people of you you come back and you want to be a part of a high-flying offense, and when Justin Fields is gone – can you duplicate that? And, you know, I, I know that it might seem surprising or, or really good news for, for people, but between McCord, Miller, and Stroud, one of them is going to be able to do it. <laughs> you know, that's uh, <clears throat> kind of what you get when you recruit um, multiple people at that level. I'm sure one of them is going to pan out. So, you know, what happens at the quarterback position is certainly interesting. How McCord is going to factor into that, depending on what spring football is going to look like this year, I think is going to be an interesting thing to, to follow. But in terms of there being a competent or, or not competent, really good quarterback out of the three that emerges by the time November rolls around, I think is a pretty hot, easy bet to make in the affirmative, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think I, th- I think no matter who the guy is, will be good. And I think the offense looked a little different um, in terms of like how they deploy personnel, and I think it's going to look more like 2018. And there's a we got a bunch of questions about like what does this mean for the young receivers. I think those are valid questions. I think there's a way to to kind of keep everybody happy too, and, and we'll get into that with with some of these questions. So, um, just real quickly before we get to them, I, I think like ranking them in order. I think Olave was the most surprising. I would probably put Mumford second because I thought he might go based on how well he played this year, and then Togiai was third because Togiai, of all the guys that like had a realistic reason for leaving. I think he was also the one that maybe you could talk yourself into the most easy was going to stay um, just kind of because of how he is sort of personality wise. But he's a he's a force, I think. And you and you realize how much of a force he is when he didn't play against Alabama in the national championship. So I guess it makes sense for him to jump. But I actually thought there was a decent chance he would stay. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, that a lot of people said that he's going to break the bench press record at the combine. And it's like maybe you just look at it and say, I'm going to test off the charts. People are going to love me. I'm going to get picked high. I'm going to go get make my money. You know? Yeah. You know, I can understand that completely. I think on his film right now, he's probably at worst a day two pick. Um, and then when people get his testing numbers, um, I don't think he'll be a first round pick. But if he slides into the back end of the first round, I don't think I'd be shocked by that. He's, he's a different kind of dude um, in the middle of a defensive line. All right. There were like two themes with all these questions. Uh, and they were generally, what the hell is wrong with the defense and what's going to change? And, like, the fallout of Chris Olave coming back. Where should we start? <laughs> Do you want to start with the good stuff? The Olave stuff? Okay. <laughs> I'm happy that we both were on the same page with that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, okay. I don't know how much relitigation of the defense is, but talking about how it impacts the future is certainly interesting. So we'll, we'll get okay. to both. Let's start with the Olave stuff. And we, we touched on this a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I gave my thoughts, I'll ask you. From Gabe E., Yes, how much higher can Chris Olave's stock realistically go? I mean, I don't know. How how much higher can it go? Do you think it could be a top 10 pick? Yeah, I think he could be. I don't I don't think I'd predict that he will be, but I think he could be. Yeah, because it's like once you've already been slotted as a potential first-round draft pick at multiple places by people who do this year-round, I think that's the apex. Now, obviously, the getting picked in the top five or the top 10 is still a higher threshold than the saints in the twenties or was it the mid teens or the twenties? I don't even 27, know. Yeah. Once you're into the top round, you've did it. You know what I mean? So in terms of how much higher his, his stock can realistically go, I think the fact of the matter is, is that 
these guys can have another productive season. But I'm the thing with Alave is, is I'm pretty sure we know what he is already, which is why it's so surprising to me. It's just like, what do you think that he has to prove on the field? Does he have to gain strength? Does he have to get bigger? Does he have to maintain his speed after getting bigger? Um, is his current positioning in the in the draft based on the fact that Alabama has nine receivers that are going to go in the first round this year? Like, I mean, how much of it is competition and how much of it is actually having to improve? Because in terms of what we've seen out of him, I mean, and in the sample games where he didn't play, in the Northwestern game specifically, I think we know what he is. I think we know what he is for the most part. He talked about after the national title game, he was being asked sort of about how he developed, and he talked about how he's he's faster than he's ever been. He felt stronger. He said he felt like he was winning more at the line of scrimmage. And I think all that is true, and maybe on some level he feels – because he only played, what, seven games, right? He missed one game with yeah. the COVID stuff. So I think we forget that sometimes. And, like, Chris Olave's played a lot, so maybe it doesn't apply to him. But, like, like as another example, people are, like, waiting for Nicholas petit Frere to make a decision on his future. It's like he's played, like, nine games. Like, what decision does he have to make? Like, this past season was not a lot of football for anybody. So maybe on some level Chris feels like he needs to – show those improvements over a larger larger sample size. I don't know. I feel like I know what I need to know about him, and and I would consider drafting him in the first round right now. But if he goes out and sets the world on fire again next year like with a different quarterback, um, maybe that makes you think even higher of him and you think of him less as a product of like Justin Fields' ability and, and more of a product of his own ability. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. But um, that's why it was so surprising to me because I don't know. I think he can make a jump. I don't know that he will make a jump and like because there's a little ambiguity there like I thought he might have gone because I'm not 100% sure that his stock can get significantly higher than it is right now yeah it's just at a certain point it's just how do you bust through the ceiling it's just like having another year like this I think is enough to take him in the first round and again Waddle and Devontae Smith are gone there are other receivers in the game that are going to be gone but it's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic from the sense that he's going to be competing against Garrett Wilson for draft spot. I think Garrett Wilson's going to be first-round pick a year from now. So, you know, that's kind of an, another thing to to watch. But, you know, as it pertains to his actual game, his ability to take the top off of a defense, like everything that he does from a route running and catching ability, the fact that he has such an important f- fingerprint on this offense, even when he's not on the field, I think is already there. And I think the more interesting discussion, I guess, for people in the, is how much does this help Ohio State's offense stop from taking a major step back without Justin Fields? And I would say this is a very significant thing for them. Yeah, I think I think it's huge in that regard. I think um, if you're a first-time quarterback walking into a situation where Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, your top receivers, your offensive line is what this line is going to be. You have Jeremy Rucker coming back. Like I, I don't think it's possible for a first-time starter to walk into a better situation than than what whoever the next guy um, is is going to walk into. So I, I think it's I, I would have been pretty high on Ohio State's offense. I think anyway because of the freshman receivers and just what I think of them. But I am higher now, even with the quarterback change, even with the little ambiguity at running back, because um, I think Chris Olave is that good, and and I do think that maybe there are some different ways that Ohio State can use him to show a little more versatility. Because I, I do feel like with Justin, he was like kind of just a guy you stretch the field with, and I think he can be more than that. Um, I think you can put him in the slot. I think you can move him around the way that Steve Sarkeesian moved Devontae Smith around, and maybe there's been some conversation about that, and that that 
contributed to why why Chris wanted to come back. Like if he is what he is right now, I love him and I think he'll be a good pro. But I do think there's there's something more there for him if the offense starts to take on a different kind of feel next year. And the other thing too that I wanted to mention, and it didn't really happen this year, but <clears throat> Olave has on his tape blocking punts and being a gunner. Like he's a tremendous special teams weapon too, mm-hmm. when used in the right way. And that was part of the reason why Terry McLaurin jumped up the draft board so high because they knew that even if he didn't hit as a number three receiver right out of his freshman his, his rookie year in the NFL, that he was going to be able to contribute in other ways. And I think the fact of the matter is is that Chris Olave is somebody who makes your team better all around uh, from day one. And the fact that they have him back, that's a, a leader. Uh, in this offense, and it's a huge weapon to help whoever takes over a quarterback feel more comfortable in that transition. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud both haven't com- attempted a pass in a game, but both of them have scored, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, uh, I have every reason to believe in the world that Ohio State's offense is going to – I don't think it's going to be better than it was last year because I don't know how you get better with Justin Fields uh, – without Justin Fields, I should say, but – they have all the tools in the world. They got three offensive linemen coming back, and I think everybody has hopes that Henderson's going to be the starter right away. Um, you know, shout out to Trey Sermon for going from is Ohio State going to have him back to leaving for the NFL early after two games? But you know, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish too. But the fact that they have Henderson coming in makes you feel like Ohio State is set at running back, despite the fact that he hasn't practiced a down at Ohio State, which I think makes for an interesting discussion because he is a unique prospect and I don't remember a how many times maybe outside of Sean Wade a player has spurned the first round potentially to come back for another year it doesn't happen very regularly especially at Ohio State um, but b the last time we could pencil in a starter as a true freshman and like feel confident that that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. like that doesn't Ohio State recruits crazy good but that's not a regular thing either. So the fact of the matter is, is you have two pieces coming in or coming back that you can count on from day one at crucial positions. You have an offensive line that has Paris Johnson going to be stepping in somewhere and has some meat returning, and, and Munford is a really, really good college tackle. I mean, you've got a lot of meat left on the bone. Now, do you replace Justin Fields? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't know that we're going to see somebody as good as him for a long time. But there's a lot of options in terms of what you can find at that position and I think from the offensive standpoint that Ohio State is uh, in a good position I wanted to ask you something Bill because we've seen a lot about this and I got asked about it on Twitter yesterday and it seems to be but like are we like inching towards a trend where people are going to think it's cool to come back like after what Alabama just did like where do you stand on that because I don't think it's a rational thing to expect or even ask but it makes me think you have Olave coming back, and it kind of just reminded me of, like, why would he do that? And it's the same question that we asked about Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell after the national championship game this year. I don't know if it's a developing trend or not. Uh, there is an interesting point, I guess, to be made. And so someone asked this question, and I apologize. I didn't, I didn't grab your name and put it in here. But, but how the name, image, and likeness stuff might impact that. If guys are able to make some money while they're in college, maybe that would make them more likely to stay if they're on the fence a little bit. Um I don't know. I don't want to say it's becoming more likely because I don't. I don't want to give people false hope that like all the guys you love are, are going to somehow decide to to stick around a year longer than you than you thought they would. Um, 
And I think Tommy Togia is a good example of that. Like Ohio State's got both things happening. Um, I think they have more surprising guys staying than they do surprising guys leaving at the moment. But but I don't want to assume that ever becomes a, a regular thing. And I know that Alabama had like a very special thing happen with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and Alex Leatherwood and Jalen Waddell and all those guys. I don't know Alabama well enough to know if that's a regular thing that happens there, if that was like lightning in a bottle like we said before. Um, I'm inclined to believe that it's the latter. I'm inclined to believe that more often than not, the guys you think are going to leave early from Ohio State are going to leave early. And every time they don't, celebrate it, but I would never assume it's going to happen. Yeah, I just it seemed like there was like a groundswell of, hey, come back and do it for the brotherhood. And I just thought that was like not the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, these guys don't know you, us, anything. <laughs> so if they want to go pro, like go pro, go make your money. Um, I think they should go make their money regardless because it's a free enterprise and it's, yeah. you know, and you know, I just wanted to bring this up too now that we're talking about it because I knew we'd get into it. But Bobby Carpenter made a, a really good point on Twitter and it's not something that we really consider. But back when he was playing in the mid 2000s, it used to be fun to be a college athlete. You know, you're able to go out to bars uh, and, you know, have some beers with your friends or do what all of us in college did. And now it's such a pressure cooker of an occupation between social media, media and videos and staying in line and NCAA violations and all the things that go into play. It's not as fun. And I'm not saying that it's not fun to be on the Ohio State football team and to go compete for national championships and be a part of that. I can only know how amazing that would feel to be a part of a team that accomplished something. But in terms of like daily quality of life, these guys are professional football players. And I think it's shifting more into um, that than it ever was in the past. Like he said, you know, you've got the off-season camps that their staffers at. They have off-season conditioning. Um, They have fall camp, the season, spring football. I mean, how many months off do these guys actually have? This is a full-time job. And it's a very pressure-filled job where if you make a mistake or you, you know, and thankfully for us and for the program, there hasn't been a lot of incident off the field in terms of people getting in trouble. But Chris Olave can't act the way that even I acted in in, in high school and college. And you kind of have to understand that, like, if you want to go get paid and go to a bar as a professional athlete without being scrutinized for it, then there's some pull to that, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I do think, like, I mean, it's not even it's not even that. Like, you have to carry yourself, I think, a certain way now that's a little different than it was back then and it's not that long ago but because of social media. You're just, like, you're one person with their phone out away from, like, being broadcasted to the entire world doing something that's like even pretty benign but people would would judge you for it something just like going out to a party um but even beyond that it's like they're they're off what like two weeks after the season before they come back in january for winter workouts and then like for a month and a half and the after spring ball like may and and the second half of april and that's kind of it it's more I don't want to. I don't know this for a fact because I don't cover the NFL and I don't. I'm not friends with any NFL players. But it feels like more of a full time deal than even the NFL does. <laughs> and those guys get paid. The NFL guys get paid for it. Um, not to say one's easier than the other, but I could certainly see why you'd be more inclined to want to leave if you have a legitimate opportunity to do so, given the lifestyle that that some of these guys are are in right now as as quote unquote amateur athletes. Um, but that could also change with the NIL stuff too, depending on how much money is, is at play. Yeah. And I think for some guys, it could be a lot of money. It could be hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars. So um, I think that could, could impact things moving forward. But um, I'm never going to tell a guy uh, or write that a guy should come back because I think that's ridiculous. Um, make your own decisions. Live your life. That's fine. Do your thing. Um, and I'm never going to assume that guys are going to come back. I think I'm just going to assume that guys who are ready to go are going to go. And if they come back, then then it's worth, like I said, having a party about. I think that if I were a college football player, I would go the second I was a draft pick. I don't yeah, even I know think, that I would I have the discipline to improve my stock. I, I know I wouldn't. I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't. Maybe that, you know what? Maybe that's why it never worked out for, for me and you. Because we don't have discipline, I think, with when it comes to anything. Yeah, no, there's no discipline for how to manage your money. Or if you drive by a pizza hut between the hours of 11 and 2, you know, there's, that's also a problem. The, bu- so. the buffet's open. Yeah, what are, you, yeah. what are you supposed to do? And the fact that I know that off the top of my head is part of the problem. <laughs> All right, let's get to some more questions. We touched on these sort of tangentially, but let's stick with Alave for a second from Michael C. Um, is it possible that more receivers end up transferring, and that's on top of Mookie Cooper, who's already transferred? Um, only so much offense to go around that I would expect whoever the quarterback is to favor Olave and Wilson, thereby limiting chances for other guys to get on the field. Um, like, yeah, I mean, someone might transfer. I, th- I think it's possible that Chris Olave coming back could could force someone to transfer. They have a lot of guys in that room, and like we know of Olave and Wilson, we know about all the freshmen. We also don't know what like Jalen Harris is going to do. He didn't play this year. He's he's certainly eligible to come back if he, if he wanted to. Um, like Elijah Gardner, I, I, I think he's on the team. Like, <laughs> I think he could come back. Like Demario McCall could come back if he wants to. Like Cam Babb is working his way back from these injuries. Like there's and then there's three other freshmen are coming in. Like there's a lot of guys. So if someone or some or multiple guys transfer, I think that's certainly possible. But I think I the also question's think, probably geared towards will one of the five star prospects that are in the program transfer. Yeah, and I think my answer to the, like my answer to that is always like maybe because the answer is always maybe. But I also think that I went back and looked at 2018. 
six receivers got f- at least 40 targets while Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were like dominating the targets. There was still room for six guys to get 40 or more targets. I think that's very possible this year with the way this offense sets up. So, um, like Olave and Wilson are going to be the top guys, but I think they play way less with two tight ends. I think they play more four or possibly even five receiver sets than they have um, in the last couple of years. And and Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson find opportunities to get all these guys touches and, and try to keep them happy. So maybe one leaves, but I also think it's very possible to to find a way to make this work with with the top level guys that people are concerned about. Yeah, and also it's one more year, and all the best players in that room are really young still. You know, if you had guys who were one year away from NFL draft eligibility, you might think twice about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that these guys are going to have a front row seat to watching Olave and, and Wilson potentially be first round picks next year out of their room. And I don't know uh, what the motivation factor for leaving would be if it is to play uh, one year early. But the one thing, too, that I think is important thing to make a distinction of is that these guys, as the years progress and the social media aspect of this is, is out there and you know, you're able to come in contact with people and, and study the game. The awareness of situations, I think, from these student-athletes is a heck of a lot higher than it's ever been in the past. And I think a lot of times we refer to them, even on this podcast, as kids, and you view them as, you know, college students and athletes who don't really aren't really aware of their surroundings. But, Bill, like Julian Fleming knows what's up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to say, oh, Chris Olave's coming back for one more year, so let me go play at a – at a school that isn't nearly as good as Ohio State because I don't have the patience to wait this out a year because when your time comes at Ohio State, it comes fast. Ask Trey Sermon how fast it comes. You know, it's like the days of having to, you know, be a star player on your team for two or three years to get drafted are gone. I think I think you could make the argument, too, that it's like a six-game stretch and your last year is all you need. How many times have we seen the final season of a guy go from, I don't know who that person really is, to, holy crap, they just got picked on the first two days of the draft? And, I, you know, it's, it's all about opportunity and, and developing and, and biding your time. And I think that the days of having to play to develop are wrong. I mean, you're developing every single day behind the scenes in the weight room with Mickey Marotti uh, in spring ball. And when you come to Ohio State, especially these receivers who signed up for it, it's not like any of these receivers signed and go, oh, my God, there's so many people in the room. I mean, they know what they're doing. Um the idea of how much they've been able to spread the ball around, how much they've been able to develop under Brian Hartline, and the testimony of other guys getting drafted is a reason to stay, not to leave. I think they've done a really good job of selling that too at Ohio State, and that's not like to make like I think other programs do. I think Alabama does that, um, and I think there's something like specifically with Brian Hartline too that that might make Ohio State a little more. A little better suited, maybe to weather to weather something like that. I, like if those guys, if all those guys from the twenty twenty recruiting class were one year older than they are right now, I'd feel differently. But because they're all still second year guys, because I think there's room for all of them to do something in this offense next year, um, I'm not expecting like any kind of like exodus with those guys. Like like I said, maybe one goes. If I had to guess right now, I don't. I think though, I think all three of those guys will be here. I think Mookie Cooper was a was. A different kind of situation, and some of the reporting when he when he did transfer was that he wanted to be closer to home. He's also a different kind of player, and the kind of player like I'm not totally sure what the home is for that skill set right now in this offense. Um, five years ago, I think it would be very clear what the skill set is for a hybrid wide receiver running back. Not 100 percent sure what it is right now, and maybe he saw that in addition to wanting to get, to, to get closer to home. I don't think Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigbird G. Scott Jr. like fit into that box at all. Um, 
but if one of those three was like, you know what, I'm I'm good enough to be a starting receiver right now as a sophomore. I want to go somewhere where that's going to happen. You know, all power to that guy if it happens. But I, I actually don't think it's going to. And he goes to the place that absolutely needed to get him out of high school. And, you know, he might be better off in that situation as well. So, you know, I think that – Did he go to Illinois or Mizzou? I Mizzou. Forget. Okay. Um, so the fact that he's at Mizzou right now, I think – Elijah Drinkwitz might have sacrificed some years off the end of his life last year to sign that kid. <laughs> and they've done a better job in St. Louis moving forward. So you hope all the best, too. But it's just like a reminder, too. It's like Demario McCall has been the next best thing for seven years now. And sometimes it's going to work out for guys and sometimes it's not. But the ones that leave are also very educated behind the scenes. And I'm not saying this politically correct, but if there's no spot for you or the, the way the offense is going um, is trending in a direction that isn't perfect for your, your projection – or your trajectory, the coaching staff tells you. You know, like they don't just yeah. fall out of the sky. Like Mookie Cooper decided, hey, I'm just going to leave. You know, partially to go home, partially because there isn't a fit in the offense, partially because there's nine other receivers that were higher rated than him coming in or already in the program. Not to mention that Olave is coming back. So, you know, I don't think that the return of somebody on the back end would cause somebody to leave. I think it's more so getting somebody better behind you that's more of a threat. I've never viewed somebody older than you coming back as a reason to leave. Yeah, I think that's a good point, but it also leads to Emeka Buka is going to show up here. <laughs> when I said that, the, the yeah. it's like yeah. that, and then also, and to you get the that quarterbacks. <laughs> you get that squeeze, you know, you get the guy guy in front of you, the guy coming in the class behind you. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, yeah, that's important to consider too. I know, but if you're, if you're uh, Julian Fleming and – you had a pretty solid game when Olave was out in the Northwestern game and you were the number one receiver in the class. I don't think you're sitting at home thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my spot to Emeka Ibuka, especially considering the fact that the wide receiver position, unlike any other one, maybe outside of defensive line, has enough rotation to get all the playmakers involved. It's mm-hmm. like the only player that made no impact whatsoever out of those crazy signees that they had in the receiver room was G. Scott Jr. this year. And I anticipate that he'll probably have a, better, a bigger, more important role next year. Um, just due to development, but it doesn't. Olave is special because he came and played as a freshman and made made actual plays as a freshman. But like, I would say that Jackson Smith Najigba and Julian Fleming had very similar freshman years to Garrett Wilson, outside of not making a crazy catch in a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jackson Smith and Jigba like kind of did make a crazy catch in the national title game. He just like bobbled yeah. it at the last yeah. second, but it was yeah. like it was a reminder. It was like he had that crazy catch against Nebraska. And then all his other catches were just sort of like normal run-of-the-mill catches, and then he had that near touchdown against Alabama. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he does he does crazy stuff sometimes. So He's able no, to I, distort I, gravity somehow. I don't know like how he can change his body in the air, but he's done it. I have a story on him that like I started working on in the middle of the season, and then like it never just really worked out, but it's about like all the crazy shit he did in high school and why he's so good. Um, and that'll come in a, in a few weeks, I think. I did you get his coach? More. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, got, I think I got you his number. He's a tremendous guy. So if you yeah. talk to him already, I can only imagine how good that story is going to be. Yeah, no, I really enjoy talking to him. I'm trying yeah. to talk to the coaches who had to play against him about what it was like trying to stop him. And, and this coach is like, well, like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy like won't talk to you because Jackson kicked their ass. I was like, okay, I'll try some, I'll try That's some other point. guys. That's the point. But I think I think it'll come together and it'll be interesting. But um, they'll, like he'll, he'll, they'll find a spot for him. Um, I, like We've seen them play six before. And maybe when they did that, they, uh, not maybe, like when they did that, they, they didn't have anybody as good as Garrett Wilson or, or Chris Olave. So maybe it's not six even, but I still think there's a way to play six fairly regularly, even when you have top end talented guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Um, 
Two more questions on the offense. Uh, Clayton A. said, does Paris Johnson get slotted in at guard with Thayer Munford coming back? And he's assuming Nick Petit-Ferrer returning as tackles. Or is Paris so good that he wins the right tackle spot and pushes Petit-Ferrer somewhere else? I do think that second question is possible. And I think it's doable if you can tell Nick Petit that his future as a pro is at guard and not at tackle. And I don't know if it is, but just like from body type, I think maybe it might be. Nick's only like 6'5". Um, he's pretty long to make up for it, but I don't know if he's the size that you'd want in a tackle in the NFL. And, and Thayer, I think, is a little more the size you'd want as a, for a tackle in the NFL, though I think Thayer could play guard too. So if you could sell any one of those older guys on the idea, like this is what you're going to be in the NFL, it would make sense maybe on some level for you to be this now for us, and then you play Paris at tackle. I think that could happen. I am. I think it's more likely that Paris plays guard. And I think it's fine if Paris plays guard. Like, I know he's the starting left tackle of the future, and he will be in 2022. And I think he'll be a first-round pick whenever he leaves. Um, I don't think him playing guard is going to be to his detriment for one year. I just Also, don't. when he came in and played guard in some of the, the spots where they needed him, didn't he play awesome? Yeah, he's really good. Like, he's going to be on the field. Um, yeah. This might suck for him that Thayer's coming back. Um, cause he thought like he would have two years to be the left tackle and then, and go pro. I, I could certainly understand if that would be something that upsets him a little bit, like not to the point where he'd leave cause he's going to start next year. Um, but I don't think, I don't think this throws off his trajectory in any way. If no, you get two full either. seasons of a starting Parrish Johnson, I don't really think it matters where it is as long as he's starting because he's going to wow people as long as he's on the field. Yeah, it's like having a talent that's so good that he has to play out of position or even kind of out of position just to get him on the field I think is a good sign for Ohio State's offensive line. And the fact of the matter is, and you're more of an X's and O tactical guy, but if you have a guy with Paris Johnson's skill set and size who also is an effective guard, that's a pretty badass guard, isn't it? Yes. I mean, because yeah, it's not it somebody that can – you know, it's the length and the size, but also you have to be able to move in there a little bit. And he has that ability. We we wrote about that when he was in high school, mm-hmm. his twitchiness, right? Like his ability to, to fire off the ball, but he's super athletic too. So like, like do guards not make as much money in the NFL as a left tackle? Probably not. But like, it's still a really good way to form your skills as an offensive lineman and he's going to get his time. Yeah. And I think, I, I think he'll be the starting left tackle in two years. I have no doubt about that. Um, and I think it's okay if he gets his gets his work at guard now. And it, like he played guard against Al- I for- I didn't even realize it. I think watching the game, maybe because it was so out of hand that I kind of stopped paying attention. That he played a decent amount of guard um, against Alabama, and like to mix results with the thing, like he had to block Christian Barmore, which is like great experience for a guy his age to have to block somebody like that. Um, I thought he played well against Clemson. He's got great versatility. Like he doesn't, as long as he's healthy, he doesn't come off the field. If you need to tackle, he'll kick out. If you don't need to tackle, he starts at guard. Um, I think showing that versatility will help him. I have no doubt that he's going to be good and be a monster. Uh, and I think this offensive line is going to be awesome. Um, but I do think, to, to Clayton's point, I think it's possible, yet unlikely, that maybe one of these returning tackles could kick inside so that Paris does play tackle. I think it's on the table. I'd be surprised if it happened. Uh, this may be more up your alley here. Last question on the offense from Thomas D. What do you think of the future of the running back position? Do you think Master T comes back? Um, seemed like towards the end of the year they were, they were preferring Mayan Williams as the back behind Sermon. Um, and with Evan Pryor and Trevion Henderson coming in, do you think Teague might transfer out? Um, I don't know if Teague transfers out, but I think I'm on board with you that Trevion Henderson shows up and quickly becomes the number one tailback. Yeah, I mean, his tape, did you watch his tape? I've watched his tape several times because it's an enjoyable experience. Whose tape has been better at any position? 
That'd be an that's interesting. That's an interesting uh, post, maybe for the off season. Best top ten best highlight reels of the uh, since 2012 from high high school players. Yeah, I've not watched them all, one. but his is pretty good. It's pretty freaking good. Yeah, yeah, and it's like hard because you don't know how fast and how big the players they're playing against are, and I know it's harder to analyze other positions, but you get a pretty good sense at running back, and he's pretty insanely good. So, um, and I remember. What, today's January 19th, Ohio State's spring opener in another universe is on Saturday? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, people thought, hey, if he enrolls <laughs> early, he'd be the starting running back right out of the gate without spring football or without fall camp. It's like that is the skill set that people view him at. So, you know, I'm not going to make a prediction about whether or not somebody is going to stay or leave. That's not, you know, what we do. But, you know, and I do think that there's still a role for Master Teague in the offense but, like, in my opinion, with Sermon gone, I think it's going to be Henderson as the number one featured back. Teague will get carries, and I think Pryor's probably a year away. Because when I saw him in person, he wasn't big enough yet. Now, mm-hmm. a lot can change with somebody who's uh, graduating high school, turning 18. And, you know, I haven't been in North Carolina for, you know, eight or nine months. But uh, when I was with him, he struck me as somebody who might need some time to develop. And Mayan Williams, I thought, showed some some burst. So, I think they're in a pretty good position. It's pretty crazy how adding one player can change your entire perspective of the room because this year I complained for the last, you know, nine months that it was lacking. Then Trey Sermon turned into Eddie George and now is left. Um, But I think I would feel good about the running back room moving forward. And, you know, even if Teague is the bell cow in the beginning part of the year, you know, I don't know, they're playing Oregon. But I think you can get away with slowly developing Henderson and hoping that he hits his – his freshman stride by mid-November uh, before mm-hmm. the Michigan game. And then if you you got a playoff game or a national championship race to continue, then you have a guy who is in position to help you. But I think that that's a solid position for Ohio State to be in right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Available of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm writing um, depth chart projections over the next couple days, and I'm working on the offense right now. And I I have Henderson as as a starting tailback. I actually considered putting Mayan Williams. Do you think it would be nuts if I put Mayan Williams there? I think it should be. I I will put Henderson, but even like considering Mayan Williams, do you think it's... Everybody was like giving me crap when he made that one move in the third quarter of the Northwestern game. Like, should Mayan Williams be getting it? Now he's like the most popular. Is like Mayan Williams slowly turning it into Mario? Well, the, the thing is, like, he he looked good against Michigan State. And I think you and I had a conversation about, like, what like what does this mean? And I said, like, not much because Michigan State stinks. And it was the second half of a blowout. Uh, and then he did it against Clemson. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So, 
Well, you and mean that's like where one, it like for me. one, he what did he carry the ball three times in the Clemson game, and like one was a ten yard gain that was you know had a little bit of a stutter step and made he bounced miss. it outside. And yeah, made a guy Massey threw that's a step exactly like, what right. he did in the Michigan State game. Yeah, but, but he I, was playing against good players this time. No, I know, I know, uh, but I think that. More so than the the feet of it, I think is the ability. It's like seeing the human body do it. I think is more like the yeah. fact that I saw him juke the way that he juked, or the way he. Who's made? Who's the best running back in your time on the beat at making people miss? Dobbins, and then who else? Uh, I mean Dobbins, and I, then I guess Zeke. But Zeke was more like running through people than yeah. It was around Zeke them. ran yeah. fast, like ran through, broke tackles physically, and then outran people. I'm talking about the Braxton Miller breakdown, hesitate, watch somebody fall yeah, over without JK. touching you. J.K. his freshman year was incredible at that, and I don't know that there was another running back that did that. Mike Weber didn't do it. No, he was more in the, in the Zeke mold, I think. So run through and by you, like Mayan yeah. Williams might be the jukiest running back Ohio State has signed since the beginning of the Urban Meyer era, unless I'm forgetting somebody. He's pretty jukey. He's pretty jukey. I love jukey. Yeah. That's why I'm obsessed with Braxton Miller. That yeah, <coughs> Henderson's little, jukey uh, too, though. <coughs> One little uh, head bob and the guy's falling over. I mean, it's it's, it's God yeah. gift. You can't teach people that stuff. Yeah, um, I think if he's not the starter day one, I think I think Henderson is the starter at some point next year. I think Mayan Williams is definitely involved. I don't know what it means for Master Teague. Um, I think he was better this year than he was last year and did show some improvements, but. There's just a different element, I think, with some of these guys that this this offense and I think the way they want to run the ball in particular kind of needs. And and I don't know if, if Master T gives it to him consistently enough to, to be the number one guy next year. Um, and I think it's worth keeping in mind Marcus Crowley like played one game, and it was the national championship game, but he played one game coming off an injury. Um, people liked him going into last year not knowing exactly what his health status was. So if he's fully healthy going into 2021, I, I wouldn't want to write him off either. But my anticipation is that by the end of the year, we're seeing a lot of Henderson and maybe some Mayan Williams mixed in there when it comes to the running back packing order. Okay, hot take. Ready? Yep. Your favorite thing about this podcast with me, right? When I just start firing off bullshit and you got <laughs> to respond to it. I think that you can tell a running back is going to be really good faster than any other position as a freshman. Or at the very least, running back and receiver. Yeah, I think I think maybe I'd combine those two, but I I would agree with that. I think it's easier. What do they say? Like the closer you are to the ball, the harder it is for you to play well when you first start out your career. So like, like corners, receivers, running backs, I think have a better chance of of standing out in that way. Say that I'd again. Agree with that. The closer you are to the ball, which mostly just means like if you're a lineman, it's harder um, to to flash immediately. Oh, like pre snap ball. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Because uh, the quarterback's so Lyman, pretty close, Lyman, too. Lyman quarterback. No, I think it's like Lyman and quarterback. Or the, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I never like, heard that before somehow. But thanks for – did you win that at the coaching seminar you were at last week? Uh, probably. <laughs> Not last week. I was looking, though, uh, how much it costs to get on the seminars for the Ohio Football Coaches Association virtual clinic that's going to be running next month. But no right, Ohio well, State coaches on the docket yet. So yeah, if an Ohio State coach signs up to speak, I'll listen to that. Um. Let's transition to some defense talk. But first, a question from Walter H. Do you have a favorite Girl Scout cookie? The Thin Mint. Yeah, I'm a Thin Mint guy too. He said the right answer is Tagalong, which I think is like a peanut butter. Yeah, it's like a peanut butter one. Um, not a big peanut butter guy. Um, big Thin Mint guy. I actually like the shortbread too. I'm into that. Which the one with the coconut on it that's got chocolate drizzled over it? Samoas? Yeah, those are good too. 
I'm not, I don't. I I do not like coconut. I think coconut's gross, but I can eat those. They're not bad. I mean, um, Thin Mint is the unequivocal answer. Yeah, I put my Thin Mints in the freezer. Yeah, I mean, eat them cold. Yeah, that's like it's in the same family as the Andes Mint Candy that you that I like so much. Yeah, and they actually now serve. Um, or they, I don't know if you've seen this, but like I was at Target yesterday actually, and I'm on what you would call a little bit of a diet, so I don't get to enjoy food anymore. <laughs> but they had Andy's like in the size of a Snickers bar, like it was a big bar of it. And oh, I was like, I looked up nice. to the heavens and I said, There's two things that struck me at Target this week that, because of course it would, but two, did you see Doritos 3Ds are back? No, the 3D Doritos that were like puffy. Yeah. With air in the middle of it. That was like my jam in high school, and it just disappeared for the last 15 years, and now they're back. And I almost, I got to get a bag and just save it, I think, if, you know, for a rainy day one of these days, because those were legit. I don't know if you remember them, but I loved them. And then they disappeared, and I remember being super sad about it. And here we are. They're back. That's good to know. I didn't see that. I didn't know. And I That's only nice. got the nacho cheese ones, right? I don't even remember there being Cool Ranch ones. There might have been, but the nacho cheese ones. That's it. That those are the two things that struck me from an eating. Oh, also, when we did random breakfast rankings uh, on the Andy Staple Show, he told me about the Hardee's country fried steak biscuit sandwich mm-hmm. that comes with gravy and country fried steak in between a biscuit. And I've never had that before. And I know that like I am married to Burger King breakfast being the elite breakfast in fast food. But that one kind of hit me in the plums too. I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I can get, I can get behind that." I think I, you know, I've never had it, but that sounds that sounds like something could be my speed. Yeah, I. Uh, you never learn how much you're actually missing out on until you stop. And the thing that I, I regret more than anything too is I got big because I kept eating eating the same shit all the time. Yeah, and like I wish I would have explored the waters it, a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I wish if you're gonna pay the penalty of gaining weight, then at least gain it by maximizing your experiences. Right and. I don't know how many loaves of uh, Domino's cheesy bread I had to put down before I went to, hey, let's go over to this Carl's Jr. and try this little, because Arby's has breakfast, Wendy's has breakfast, all these places that have breakfast that I've never had before. And it's like, I'm a 30, almost going on 34-year-old man, and I don't have that knowledge, and it bothers me. Wendy's breakfast is good. It's pretty new, but it's good. Yeah, and uh, I hit I hit uh, Chick-fil-A for breakfast, and I was on the road uh, to Florida, and I got, like, a chicken, egg, and cheese sandwich that I don't think I'd ever consider ordering, but I ordered it. Pretty tasty. Um, Andy said their biscuits suck. I've never had breakfast at Chick-fil-A. Biscuits not great. Biscuits not great. Yeah. And if the bread sucks, then it's a non-starter. I had mine on a, on a bagel. Yeah. And he had a Bojangles biscuit uh, on his list. And the Cajun would- filet? The Cajun filet biscuit or whatever it was, I went there one time, and it was so dry I couldn't even eat it. And I'm not somebody to leave anything behind. Um, and he said they've got terrible quality control issues. And if that's the case, then get off the list. Yeah. If yeah. you can't, if you can't make it right the same way, and I guess I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite because the filet o fish can be hit or miss sometimes. But come on, quality control. Let's go. All right, let's get to the questions before I talk about fast food sandwiches for another three. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that tangent. Okay, so I'm going to read all these questions, and I think like we can answer them like all kind of together. So, okay. from Andy J, he says, "What's your best guess in the secondary this year, both both personnel and general scheme? Will they stay with the single high safety stuff, or will they do more two high safety stuff?" Um, 
Vidya S, I apologize if I said that wrong, asked, do you think Ryan Day will recognize the failings of this defense and show some innovation and adaptability based on the athletes we have? Matt K said, are you concerned about the defensive scheme we saw under Kerry Combs? After watching the defense struggle under Greg Schiano, things like seemed things seemed to turn around under Jeff Halfley. And he says, I realize our personnel wasn't as good, but the scheme looked awkward. Um, do you think this is a result of less talent or is the scheme deficient? And then Nate W asked, which I thought was a good way of putting it, what's more likely to occur in 2021? Ryan Day relenting on his commitment to his single high cover one, cover three defense or Ohio State finding the personnel to run it at a high level? That was a good uh, question. Yeah. Well, let like me just start off by asking all you this back. <laughs> put it all in the pot and we'll just talk about – there's another question in there about my wedding food that I hope we get to because – yeah. Um, I went to a wedding that cost like three hundred grand over the weekend, and I got a real nice glimpse of like what it could be. But uh, I'm sorry if you listen to this podcast and I told the world how much your wedding cost. <laughs> uh, it wasn't my wedding. No, your wedding is uh, is going to be more than that. Um, it's going to cost. Let me ask bucks. you: Do you think? And I don't want to use the word incompetence, but um, do you think that Ohio State's defensive strategy was based on being handcuffed in the national championship game specifically? Handcuffed by the lack of personnel and personnel being played out of position? Or do you think that – so the coaches were put in a position that they had to do that because they had no other options? Or do you think that they were underprepared and the coaches failed? Because like the more I think uh, about it, the more I think it's more the first one. I think it's a little bit of both, I, I, I and which is kind of a cop-out, I suppose. But the – the way this defense is structured, the single high stuff that Ryan Day likes, um, and I heard Ross Fulton, um, Buckeye Scoop, discuss this, and, and I agree with him. He said, like, it only really works if the defense doesn't know what you're doing, like, before the snap. And the reason Ohio State was so good two years ago is because they would line up in that structure, but you didn't know if they were going to play cover one and man up and lock down on everybody or play cover three and play zone. And, like, you attack those things very differently. But what happened with this defense is that they weren't ever good enough to play man, and they figured that out, and then they pretty much only played zone. And when you're, especially Steve Sarkeesian, and you go out there and you know what you're getting, and you know what you're getting is cover three, like you're going to shred that all day. So what I think was lacking was a realization of them like not being able to be so reliant on this structure because of their personnel deficiencies, and then like not finding a counter to that. They did do some too high safety stuff against Alabama, and when they did, Alabama just ran the ball. Um, I don't think throughout the course of the season, and it was a weird year, they had three games canceled, and I think all that factors into it. Practices were weird. It was all disjointed. I don't think there was there was either not enough time, one, or not enough of an emphasis, I think, to find proper change-ups to Ryan Day's desired base defense based on what Ohio State's personnel was this year. So I don't know. I th- I think that answers your question with like both. I I I don't know. I guess I would put it more on like the players just do kind of what they're told, right? Um, so I think I would put it on the coaches for maybe not realizing that quicker and finding something different to do. All that being said, I don't know what they could have done differently specifically against Alabama to have like any shot in hell of slowing that offense down. Um, but I think like to go to Nate's question what's more likely than deviating from this or finding the personnel to run it the way they ran it in 2019. I think it's like a a step-by-step process and step one might be deviating a bit while they build the talent level on the defense back up to the point where maybe two years from now, 
it looks more like it looked in 2019 when you have the, the guys who can hold up a man coverage the way that Okuda and Arnett and Sean Wade could and, and the proper free safety like Jordan Fuller and the proper hybrid linebacker like Pete Werner was and the, the menacing pass rush that Chase Young was. Like I think they're building back up toward that, but I don't think they're going to be that next year. Who do you see so in the 2021 year? class that is going to be built differently in the secondary to, to make that better? Is like Ja'Kalen Johnson the answer to J.K. that question? J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, I think up your talent level at corner. Um not to say they're going to be like lockdown corners from day one, which is why I said two years on the road. Jack Sawyer, I think, is your pass rusher. They get JT to him a little Like your defensive line is is scary good. It's good next year, but like terrifying. I think in two years, um, Court Williams, I think, is the perfect kind of hybrid guy. They're also like the Sam McCullough and CJ Hicks and um, Jalen Johnson are all coming in in the next couple of recruiting classes. Like and. Free safety, I don't know who that is. Maybe it's Josh Proctor going in that role next year and then someone like Lathan Ransom or Ronnie Hickman behind him or, or one of these guys they have coming, um, like Andre Turrentine or, or Jensen Dunn. Like, I think you're seeing it. I think Ryan Day is recruiting to the vision that he wants in place. It's just that they didn't have the players to do it last year. I'm not 100% sure they're going to have the players to do it next year. And, like, in the in-between as they're building it back up, I think they are going to have to deviate from it some and run more too high safety stuff. And it's impossible to do that in the middle of a season. It's hard to do it in the middle of the season. It's hard to do it without a spring practice. Um, it's hard to do it with a weird camp. It's hard to do it with a first-time defensive coordinator who's like never run that system, which I think is another important thing to consider. The one thing that's hard in all this is like I don't know. This scheme is what Ryan Day wants, and he hired Kerry Combs to run a scheme that Kerry Combs had never run before. I don't know what Kerry Combs wants to run because he's never been a coordinator before. He's been a defensive backs coach in various systems. I don't know what his preference is, but he was pretty good at coaching guys on press man coverage and – 2014, 15, 16. Um, but I don't know what he wants to be, and maybe that would be a good starting point. Like, Kerry Combs, what is your ideal vision for a defense? Ryan Day, what is your ideal vision for a defense, which we know, and how do you blend those two things together? Because there didn't seem to be a whole lot of blending this year. It was just like Ryan Day like saying, here, Kerry, here's what we do. Make it work with these guys. And that was always going to be really difficult. Yeah, but I think we're at the point now, though, where if you are at your house – pounding the table for a demotion or a firing or a uh, looking into the sky thinking is this a problem that can't be fixed I think that's premature for that I think I we're agree. at I think we're at a position right now where um, you have an entire offseason now you've got some new players to work with you have a spring football and you've got another calendar year to look at what happened and improve from that and you know if it happens again then maybe you have a discussion but right now I think that Ohio State you know, believe it or not, lacked in personnel, and the coaches that brought the personnel that they were lacking in are fired. <laughs> so it's just kind of the way it works. Um, you still, you know, Kerry has had a long track record of developing and scouting and and recruiting high level defensive backs. Uh, he's only been back for one year, so he this is him scheming up the best that he can in most cases. Because I know he recruited some on the front end to to putting themselves in a position to play this defense, but. You know, at a certain point, too, I, I very am very much curious about how much the Cam Brown injury hurt them. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was like a uh, they'll be okay type of an injury, and it might have turned out to be like the season-changing injury, depending on what he turns out to be next year, because I think he's going to be somebody they count on a lot. Um, but I think I need to see a lot more than this before I'm ready to say this coaching staff sucks. Yeah, I, I mean, it could bear out that, that Kerry Combs wasn't the right hire. I, I'm not there yet. I think I think you need to see, one, like a, a normal buildup, a normal kind of season, um, 
how they work around their their talent, whatever it might be next year. While we're on that subject, uh, Seven Banks announced that he's coming back. Not that I thought he would leave, um, but he's coming back next year. You have Cam Brown. Um, you have J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock coming in. You have um, Legend Cavazos, Ryan Watts, Cam Martinez. So a lot of young guys. It wouldn't surprise me. There was a question from Alan W. Do you think they go in for a grad transfer or just a transfer in general at linebacker or defensive back? I think linebacker, no, but defensive back, I think it's possible based off what they have. If there's like a if there's a lockdown corner somehow that becomes available or or a true deep middle of the field safety that becomes available, I think you have to look at both of them to try to shore up the back end of this defense. So um, they're and you can play with the numbers too next year because there's no 85 scholarship cap next year either. So they have they have some leeway that way. So I, I don't I don't know who that would be, and I'm not telling you that like yes they're definitely going to do that. But if the opportunity presents itself, it wouldn't shock me to see them go get a defensive back or two to help shore that up. Um, yeah. So I like I think I think criticism is warranted of Kerry Combs of Ryan Day of whatever. I would push back a little bit on like. This like this is not Kerry Combs' scheme, and I suppose like when he has the title, it's his scheme, whether he wanted to have it or not. Like he knew what he was signing up for, but like this vision for the defense is not necessarily Kerry Combs. And I would like to see like whatever Kerry's vision is for a defense now that he's a coordinator, like some more implementation of that into what Ryan Day wants to do to maybe put this defense in some better positions in, in 2022, so that when you get on the field with an Alabama, um, you're not getting ripped apart because you can kind of only do one thing. Yeah, it's just really hard, I think, at least from a fan standpoint, to say, hey, this team reached the national championship game, but this team's defense was broken. It's like those two things don't usually go hand in hand. So when you fail, at the, and also playing maybe the best offense in yep. the history of football, all those things kind of in the same pot, I think is just a confusing mixture. And I think it has people wondering, like, what the hell's going on here? And I, I think it's fair to wonder that. Like this is this is a very important offseason for them to figure out what they want to be, how they want to play, who they want to play there, um, whether or not they need to go find better players to do that. Um But I don't like it's not doesn't it's not something to me that feels like unfixable. It just needs to be fixed. Um and and it's Ohio a test day. Yeah, Ohio State's biggest changes usually come after things like this. Yeah, and, and the interesting piece of it is I think it's possible Greg Madison retires. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i not reporting that. I don't, I don't know that to be happening imminently, but I think it's possible he had a two-year contract. His two years are up. He's like 72 years old, I think. And if he does retire, what they do to replace him, do they bring in another co-coordinator, what position that person they bring in coaches. Um, there's there's a lot of at play there if, if a spot opens up on a defensive coaching staff. I'm not anticipating any like major coaching shakeup. And and now we know that Urban Meyer's not taking anybody with him um, to Jacksonville. But I think it's possible that Ryan Day would have to fill Greg Madison's spot and you know, could be a linebackers coach, could be another secondary guy, could be just a co DC without a position attached to it. There's a lot there's a lot of different options, different ways Ryan Day could go, um, both positionally, schematically um, experience wise, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who that would be, but that's another thing that's sort of up in the air with all this as we try to figure out which which direction the defense is headed. Yep. Uh, let's someone Michael S said who starts a linebacker next year. I think it's pretty straightforward. Like Dallas Gant, Taraj Mitchell, and I like Court Williams maybe at that same spot. Craig Young maybe at that same spot. Um, Kavon Pope, but I, I think your two interior guys are 
Mitchell and Gant, right? You think that too? I think that's the clear answer, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess it's like, I don't know. We don't, we haven't heard Baron Browning's gone. We haven't heard from Pete Warner and tough Borland yet. My assumption is that both those guys are gone, but I guess until we hear that definitively, we can't say I that. I thought we weren't assuming gone. on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. They're gone. Um, and then, uh, I, well, I did say if guys come back, throw a party, but I don't know if they, if, if one of those guys in particular comes back, there'll be much partying happening. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you see new starting interior linebackers next year and three new starters. And boy, do those back. guys put in their time. They're good. Pete Werner's very good. Like, I think Pete Werner's yeah. going to be a good pro. And I think, like, Tough Borland is is good at what he does and was put in some unfortunate positions uh, this year. And I guess we can maybe leave it at that. Uh, all right, let's end with these two questions going a little long. You you tease this one. At, uh, or no, sorry. Um, did I just delete it? I think I might have deleted it. The one about your wedding. So I, I'm sorry. I, I don't have the name here, but somebody asked about uh, – you said on Buckeye well, Talk one time you're going to have like wood castle sliders. You have it. Read the question. Listener since the Buckeye Talk days on said podcast, Ari mentioned how for his wedding one day, the menu would include White Castle sliders, pizza rolls, Chick-fil-A nuggets, and other things. How likely is that such a star? How likely is it that such a star studded menu comes to fruition? (laughs) Back in the Buckeye Talk days, I had not met my future bride yet. So now (laughs) that I have, (laughs) the answer to that question is 0%. (laughs) And because she is a health nut and... Luckily for me, it's kind of saved my life. I've lost a ton of weight since I started living with her, and, you know, I just had uh, grainless cereal. (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I went to this wedding this weekend, Bill, and they had lobster and steak for everybody. Um, They had funnel cake. They had chicken biscuits. They had, like, ice fountains and open bar, and it was, like, the most extravagant wedding that you could ever – there was people walking around on stilts, like stilts, like small people on really – tall stilts like it was a uh um circus or they had some of the texas state fair stuff there it was the craziest wedding i've ever been to and it's like that food is good but i will always forever stand by the idea of having like pizza rolls pizza by the slice mini sliders chicken nuggets corn they had corn dogs at this wedding actually but you know things like that that people would it would be one one hundredth of the cost and it would be amazing because everybody there in their tuxedos, sipping their martinis, acting all awesome, we're all just a bunch of slobs. People outside the front smoking cigarettes, coming inside, ready to get some chick, chicken biscuits and a tin at the end of the night. That's what people are there for. They're not there for the filet mignon that everybody has to eat formally before you start dancing. Everybody wants the party food. It's yeah. like, let's cut the bull crap. Let's cut the steak. We don't need lobster tail. Let's just get some Totino's pizza. If you put a vat of pizza rolls on the back of a wedding, where do you yeah. think the line would be? At the open bar, and then it would bleed into the food line. All I'm there, I'm there, I'm there to, to drink beers. I'm there to rip darts. I'm there to eat fried food. <laughs> you're there to rip bar- you're, you're there to rip darts. <laughs> and I'm there to, and I'm there to dance. I don't need a flame mignon. Yeah, if you can't tell uh, if my throat has been a little scratchy this weekend, it's because I met a guy there who had a few packs of menthols at this at this wedding, and I'm still recovering from it. But uh, you know, don't smoke. Yeah, don't. It's not good for you. But you know, when you've had when there's an open bar, it's a nice. Uh, it's kind a nice compliment sometimes. Hand, you know? yeah. yeah, but uh, okay. Let the they didn't have the they didn't have the food though, Bill. And I and I, yeah. I I don't know. Maybe you should let me do it like as part of the rehearsal dinner or something. There you know, you Britt is you is very much into health, but I don't know how. We, this is something that my father taught me. This is a viewpoint that I was learned from the great Bobby Wass, and uh, 
I still am waiting to go to the wedding that actually, and you know, I get it. It's the girl's day. What girl's going to do that? Men are different, but yeah. God, now I'm hungry. If you ever, if you ever meet the woman who does want to do that, what would you down. do if you said that to Leah? She'd be down. Yeah, I think she might actually. Low key, low key is the way to go. If you did a low key wedding with that menu bill, you would have the best wedding on earth. I'm gonna be there either way, but I'll be there. I'm taking faster. notes over here. I'm yeah, taking, I had to, I had to cancel two weddings in 2020. Hopefully, 2021. Fingers crossed, we can get one off the ground and get some sliders there and, and some chicken nuggets for everybody. Uh, let's end on this one question: a quick yes or no from Peter S. Will Urban Meyer win a Super Bowl? There's no way to answer this without coming across <laughs> as being a dick, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl because winning a Super Bowl in Jacksonville is like impossible. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like it's not. It's not. I, I think, think he'll be successful, but I don't know that he's predicting anybody's going to win a Super Bowl is crazy, unless you're Belichick. Here's I mean, my prediction: He won't, but the guy that succeeds him will. With Lawrence, yeah, and the and the and the edifice that Urban builds there. What's the over under? On years, he's the head coach at the Jaguars in your brain right now. Four. And I don't know which way to go on that. <laughs> so basically, you just said which way you would go on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I The NFL, I think you can go from worst to first faster than worst to first in college, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like if you have Trevor Lawrence and he turns out to be 85% of what Aaron Rodgers is, you know, it'd be really hard to walk away from that. Yeah. I just don't know if he's going to change. If he's going to change and he's like something different than what he was when he was here and when he was at Florida, then I I'll think differently, but it's hard for me to see that. Um he's really good at the build. He's great at the build. It's what he's best at. Um and I think he'll build something there. I just don't know if he'll be in a position to see it all the way through. But I think he'll. I don't think he's going to flame out. And I don't think he's going to flame out in a way that makes it look like a total disaster. I think he will be successful there, but that success will be short of winning a Super Bowl. I think it's just if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know Bill and I's personalities by now. I don't think you and I ever really project the extraordinary. I think we write about it and and acknowledge it after it happens, but I don't predict it. Like yeah. I don't try to be like the guy that said, I told you in 2020 that Urban would win a Super Bowl in 2026. It's like, no. If it <laughs> yeah, happens right. in 2026, then it's just like, holy shit, this guy's amazing at coaching. Something that yeah. we already know, and it, we can celebrate the magnificence of that accomplishment when it happens. But like, I don't need to be the guy that told you it was going to happen and be wrong right. 95% of the time only to only bring up the 5% that I was right. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone keeps receipts. And if you're wrong, they throw it back in your face. Yeah, I, I'm aware. all right we'll wrap up there uh thanks for listening thanks for your questions we really appreciate it again so travel the athletic theathletic.com slash four dash six we'll get you signed up i'll have some depth chart stories coming up later this week some more stuff looking ahead to the 2021 season uh coming down the pike second signing day is not that far Mm -hmm. away and the chase for jt to malowow is is very much on for ohio state and alabama a few other schools so we have that to look forward to as well it's all like off-season i think projecting from here people do not seem particularly interested in looking back at the 2020 season and what happened against Alabama. And, and I get that. And I think we'll take take your cue from that as well and, and try to keep it forward-looking um, as Ohio State goes into an offseason that we're not totally sure what it's going to look like. Um, the early enrollees show up next week. What the spring practice schedule might be, um, I have no clue. But when we know, we'll let you guys know. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of this podcast next week. So thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.